Welcome to Let's Continue the Conversation. Some conversations are inherently difficult to have, especially when they involve race, diversity, and inclusion. I'm Lizzie Morris, and along with my dear friend and co-host, Trisha Broderick, we're here to continue these conversations. We want to see our corporate spaces all over the world be truly inclusive. But for that to happen, everybody needs to be recognized as beautiful in their own right. I am a beautiful person. You are a beautiful person. Let's continue the conversation until the whole world understands this. It starts here, one conversation at a time. Let's connect so that we can collaborate to bring about the necessary change to make our world a beautiful place for all humans. If you are finding yourself motivated and inspired, learning something new, or a fan of the show, let us spread the message together. Help us to do that by screenshotting this episode, add it to your Insta stories and tag us at Let's Continue the Conversations. And on Twitter, tweet away, Let's Continue the Conversations and tag us there. It's time to continue the conversation. Let's get started. Our goals are for people to see that collaboration between white and black really happens and that it's okay for certain conversations to be had. And we're providing almost a space for certain conversations. One of the things we do aim to do is to hold a space and kind of show you how holding a space can look when there's that trust built. And that's going to be key. So today when we're talking about um, diversity leadership, what are some of the things they're going to need to do to make the space of the workplace safe? In many cases, the virtual space, because we're all virtual, we're going to kind of talk through some, some of that stuff and you'll see it because it is going to be, again, a new effort of building trust, right? a different kind of trust that has to be built. And for professional colleagues to work well together and get the best out of each other, there needs to be that trust and respect. A couple things also to note, there may be times that I actually somewhat interrupt our conversation. In a lot of ways, Lizzie and I are going to almost pretend like nobody's watching us and just engage in the conversation. But there may be times that I actually stop and, and do what I call go meta to explain what might be happening internally for myself and things. I can guarantee, if not in this one and many of them, I'm going to say something wrong. And when I do, you know, we'll be really transparent about it and highlight it and learn from it and what, what is happening and how I'm responding to that. It's going to happen. These conversations are hard, but they're necessary and they're important and they're the only way we can move forward. So we don't know what's going to happen. We don't have this scripted. We just talk. And so today's topic is diversity and leadership. You picked the topic for this week and you picked diversity and leadership. Why'd you pick it? I thought it was a really good place to start because when I'm looking around and I look at our professional representation at the leadership levels, there definitely isn't that much. There's like four guys who are Fortune 500 leaders right now. And there are two women who, well, you remember the lady who was the leader of Xerox? She used to be CEO of Xerox. There was her, but there's like five. Well, no, hold on. Four dudes, two women, bad math, six, six in total at that level. And what I found interesting was there are probably more faces in finance, funny enough, that are black than you may see in other industries. 
What I thought was interesting about that is people can get very good at accepting whoever you are if you make them money. Like they talk about the color of money is green and that's all people see at that level in finance or trading and stuff. It's about the green. And if you make the green, you're fabulous with your pink, yellow, green, whatever. But if you make green, you're okay. So the people who have proven themselves in those spaces, there are definitely like a more representation that you're seeing there in the finance space, which I thought was interesting. Do you think though that some of that is a combination of once you start building some momentum in an industry, it then makes it a little bit easier to stay and do it because you know it and you know how to navigate that system? Yeah, this whole idea of being able to know how to navigate and make it a lot easier, you know, and you know how to prove yourself because you got data, you got stats, and that's what you're bringing people. I think it's going to be harder in places where it is a matter of soft skill value. I was just thinking that like personal connection. Yeah. I think it's going to be a lot, a lot harder there. It's like if tomorrow you were able to look across all the major organizations in America and see that there were blacks who were leading, what would be the thought at that point? And that's probably something that we have to ask ourselves, right? Would we be comfortable with it? Or would we all have a little negative thing to say about it without realizing that we were doing that? So in picking this topic, I have, as shockingly enough, I mean, I know you're surprised, right? I have something to own. We picked this topic and I'm like, oh, this is a great topic. I love leadership and I'm all into leadership, right? And then I went off to start thinking about scenarios or examples. Because we don't script this, but we both kind of, you know, prep and think about things. And I sat down and then I went, have I ever had a black boss? That question has never, ever popped into my head. So let's answer it, but have you? No, but I also didn't just, it wasn't just like, I also kept going, no, that can't be right. And then I'm like trying to, and I was like, did I really not? Like, I basically processed like, I've never had a black boss. I've had black peers. I've had black direct reports. I've had teammates, right? But I've never had a black boss. But that wasn't even the shocking part to me. It was that I never even thought about it. Like, because if you ask me how many women I've had as a boss, I label that. I've thought about that. I've talked about that. That's where it's been safe to identify. So it's kind of like the idea of saying, did you go to a bilingual French school? Huh? Like everybody taught French in your No, it was, it's not a norm. And I think that's the whole idea. It's such not a norm that we don't think it's weird. I'll give you an example, right? When you think about in the UK to a person coming who doesn't live in the UK and notice that every UK person always has an umbrella, regardless, even if the sun is brightly shining. Really true. (laughs) We've got an umbrella. Can you say that for Americans that they always carry an umbrella? No. So it's like if somebody, you wouldn't have thought, if I said, how often do you have an umbrella? Do you have a, a bag size one? You'd be like, have I ever had a handbag size umbrella? Actually, I have a lot of umbrellas because every time it does rain, I have to buy a new one. <laughs> because you don't have a handbag one that you carry around with you. That's 100% true. <laughs> Point. So I think you've got to be easier on yourself. And I was having a conversation with a few people this week who are leaders wanting to see the change in their leadership spectrum 
they're all like, well, what do we do, Liz, and where, where should we start? I think acknowledging that you want to make a start is the first thing, but be careful that you don't go trying to fix years and years and years and years and years and years and of justice and that hasn't happened and carry that with you. Because if that starts to be what you're carrying in your mind, you're going to miss the fact that what you're doing now is charting new waters. And I would love for leaders who are now getting ready to change the landscape, to see themselves as innovators of change and embrace that so they can feel. And it's not the idea that it was like, well, are you trying to make people feel better? People do better when they feel better. Yeah. People work better when they're less stressed. So if we want to see this happen and it become fluid, People who are driving these efforts have got to give themselves a little bit of space. Yes. And for myself, there was a little bit of, there was almost this weird thing. It wasn't just even like shame that I hadn't thought of it. It felt hypocritical, right? Like, so there was this extra element of because I had been doing other things, because I was doing these things, how was it possible that I totally was blind to that dynamic? And so there was this, almost wanting to invalidate, you know, to your point, almost invalidate anything else that I had done. And this is where, you know, I try to sit in that for just enough to own it, to acknowledge it, because I think that if I don't, it's then dismissive, right? Like, and it's not going to be, I'm not learning as much from it, right? But then to, I like that because there's like, okay, perspective, it's not the norm. And it's not common conversations. There are more gender conversations as that gender. People ask me that, which drives that, you know, oh, Trisha, you're the first director of development, right? Uh, and it drives that topic more than a more taboo topic such as race. But it still astounds me, even though I say, I know I'm going to screw up. I know I'm going to say something wrong. I know I haven't thought of things that when I have one of those moments of, oh, here it is again, I have to reprocess all the shame, all the dynamics so that I can be in that place that can be a better ally, that can actually be feel empowered and feel good about what I'm doing with those things. So it, it's a little tough. And I think there's that, there's that whole, because uh, I wrote down that you just talked about taboo topic. So people have always said, there's two things you don't talk about, religion and politics. It's kind of what where people have said, but nobody's ever called out, okay, we shouldn't really talk about race per se. I mean, I had recently somebody kind of say this, you know, we shouldn't do that and try and tuck it under the politics. Yeah. right. Put it in the politics box. It's hidden under there, but it's not really hidden. It's like the elephants where everybody knows. It's the elephant in the room that nobody calls out. And I have to say, recently, with different groups I've been working with, like as a peer in the group versus the kind of diversity consulting I've been doing recently, right? In that space, I can't say I have been brave to point out the elephant. And I think there's going to be many Black executives who are already like kind of there and senior leaders who may not feel comfortable talking to those issues because they have spent their whole career 
navigating them and never being able to mention it. So the idea of you saying to me now I have a space to talk about this and to talk about what's going through and what I'm going through, nobody's necessarily going to believe that. And nobody wants to carry the label afterwards of, oh, you know, they're very sensitive. You've got to be careful you say that. Or don't, you better not say that. No, we're gonna be, they're going to be there. Don't, 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 do you know, because they're really sensitive. And, you know, so it would be called racist. It's this catch-22. And it's the catch-22 because our world doesn't have lots of umbrellas. So do I have a solve? I don't know that I have a solve. Before we kind of think about solutions in some ways, it really is tricky in those regards. You know, but if you even think back, like I, I'm reading a, a book right now titled Race Talk. It's written by the man who um, termed microaggressions and things that build up over time, basically to, to highlight the kind of the point that you're talking about. It's like, uh, you say this, but do you really want to hear my stories? Like, do you really want, because I don't trust you. You've been stabbing me with these little pebs over and over and over again. And, and actually in the book, I, I was just reading this and it, and I remember the time when this happened, but like when former president Obama spoke out informally, not planned, right. But right after Trayvon Rice was killed and how many people went after, it was like, oh, so you're now just for black Americans. And it was just this very like visceral reaction because he showed empathy and we understood challenges that your race, your experience can only really experience. And rereading that, oh, I mean, it was just breaking my heart. And so hearing you say it today, I get it. Like, I don't know if I would, if you, I was you either. It's part of the reason why we're doing this was just a, I don't want Lizzie out there, but like, I'm, I want to take any kind of brunt if I can, because I, I don't know if I trust it either. Yeah. And I mean, you're going to get, and this is something leaders who are now in the C-suite trying to, you know, address the numbers because everybody's being called out now to show your numbers, show your numbers are probably running at such a pace, but also not considering the people they've overlooked over the years in their own organizations who have applied for positions and weren't given the opportunities, who have trained people, and then the other person got the job. So back in my career, I was late 20s, and I was working for a large telecoms company, and I had taken on the fix of a contract that had been said had been met, but it hadn't been met. Um, so I was going around and fixing this mistake to keep the company out of lawsuits, and doing a great job and I'm, you know, running this effort across the whole of Europe. And then there is a white female who comes about, older white female, and I'm training her on the ropes and I figure she's just working with me and we're going to be colleagues. And she was one of my, she was a person who was on my team. And I trained her 
I taught of the codes, which engineers to work with, what we got to do with this trust, what we're going to have to do with this trust. When you go to talk to this trust, be careful. They're sensitive. You got a lot of aristocrats over here. You're going to have to watch yourself. You got to give them pause. And when you walk into the room, there's a way, you know, you got to do all that kind of stuff. So giving her all the landscape only to find out it gets announced. Nobody told me that she is the new person I am reporting into who is now taking over to run all of this. And I'm like, I've just trained this woman for the past four months. Do you know what the hell she was doing? She's still asking me questions. Well, Lizzie, can you, do you mind still handling that? Because you know, you do it so well. I do it so well, but I couldn't get the job. Right? So it's like, I think most people who are black have a story like that. Most of us have several. Because you've prided yourself in your job. Do you know what I mean? You got here and you, you're giving it your best because you want to achieve and you believe that you can climb. You believe you can do that. That is still what you believe. You are hoping, even though you've heard stories and you've seen it for you, it's going to be different. So you don't give up hope. That's one thing. Black professionals are not giving up hope because if they did, they wouldn't be black professionals. They <laughs> just wouldn't right? They wouldn't stay in it all the time, but they keep pushing. I remember when I first moved to the country and I had some friends and we went out to drinks and everybody was talking about work, but I didn't know they were talking about work. I thought it was weird because this is the phrase they used. Oh yeah. Thank God. I'm finally off that plantation. And they all use that phrase. So literally I was like, you guys work with plantations. What plantations do you work with? And they looked, and, and the friend was been, been you got to excuse her. She's not from here. She's black, but she's not like us. They don't, they don't talk like that in England. So I didn't realize it was just a reference place for being worked hard on the job. <laughs> I don't know. I was new. But that was a common reference. You're talking about a whole bunch of people I hadn't met before, and we're just talking work and blah, blah, blah. And that, boom, that comes out. So it was, it's, do you understand what I'm saying? It's such, there is still a, there is a legacy left from slavery that we have to address and understand as senior leaders, whether you want to have the topic and whether you want to talk about it or not. And in fact, you're going to have to talk about it. When your diversity experts come in, they're going to have to talk you through this, that you have to understand you think slavery was such a long time ago, but the effects of it are still being experienced by a lot of your black professionals who haven't been able to move out of the neighborhood they were in, right? Even though they earned well enough because when they went for a loan, they couldn't get it. So now they don't even attempt to move out of those neighborhoods. They just attempt to acquire more in those neighborhoods. Did you see? So there's such a programming that's happened that really causes this economic displacement that we talk about. So if we pull off of like the first part of your story with this, and it's crazy to me how much my brain wants to rationalize. And it's not even because I don't believe races. I mean, like a hundred percent, right? But my brain doesn't like the pure disappointment that any leader would not have respected 
you, even if for whatever like legitimate reason, possibly that that person was, that there is a general respect that you were about to get a new boss and no one talked to you, right? Like take all the rest of it aside. But I think that that actually highlights the dehumanization, the dismissal that's remnant from slavery, from this classification of people that it just, like you were telling that story and I was just like, tell me his name, tell me his name. (laughs) Because I was pure respect dynamic of somebody. Anytime I have ever as a senior leader changed orgs of some, you talk to individuals, you tell, and any common sense says, if someone that's reporting to somebody's going to flip flop, that's a tricky conversation. That's a bonus conversation you should have. So the fact that that didn't even happen just is so, my brain wants to find some logical reason because it does make me want to lose hope. Like it makes me want to just go, people suck. Leaders suck and like, and, and figure out oh, how to- let's look at where we are now. This is, let's, let's jump to where we are now. That was me in my latest twenties, right? So now I'm edging to 50 and we've had what we're having happen now, which means there's going to be some areas of change. There's, there's, there's going to be because there is now a demand that is not just coming from the race of blacks in America, there's a demand coming from whites in America. Now, a lot of people get upset with me when I say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Blacks could have made this move on their own to make the change happen that we needed. We'd have bloody done it already because we have not liked the situation we've been in. We've not loved it. We've, we haven't. And we haven't been able to shift it. Look, you think about all the civil rights movements I mean, there was a time, funny enough, earlier this year, before I thought about looking at all of Martin Luther King's speeches and making a product backlog out of them to show where things were in what this guy, this man was talking about or what he wanted to see. Do you, I mean, just when I did a couple of stuff on it, there was, there hadn't really been that much movement. The backlog is huge. But there's a couple good quotes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, and people use them and send me postcards and put them on quotations to inspire people. But now we have to go beyond inspiring to action. And now I feel we have got it's necessary because this one thing that so many people have wanted to, um, as bad as what happened with George Floyd was, there are still people, even with in our black community, wanting to say things like, well, you know, if you look in his background, he did do this and he did do that. that so right. what happened to him won't, wouldn't necessarily happen to us. Bullshit on that one. Because there's all the other things that are still happening, which now we have a voice for. And the question is going to be, how good are we going to be at this voice that we've got? And how good are we going to be at demanding our seats on the table? The women's movement, right? Affirmative action was fabulous for the women's movement, but the women who benefited out that were white women. They finally got a seat at the table. And yes, as females, you still got the coming back on, what are you, oh, okay, so do you have babies yet? Are you guys planning on having babies? They had to go through all of that and 
if you left for maternity leave, maybe when you came back, your job wasn't there. There was all this kinds of stuff that's definitely helped women. And there are times as black women, we get to be on that. But what happens to black men? Because black men didn't get a move that happened. So this is the reason why we got four male black CEOs across America. So that takes us back to that. So I, so I said, I wanted to hear a little bit more before the solutioning with this stuff, but the reality is, is it's what are some ideas or options or things that uh, on a couple fronts, right? Like how for those current people in those roles, it's not necessarily safe to speak up and to share. And yet in some cases, they're the only ones who have access to those other CEOs and others, right? But yet I also don't think it should fall, just to your point, like that labor is not all theirs to take on and, and what that means to do. And so there's a little bit of sometimes like, you know, now I'm, I'm not in a company, right? Now I could do something within Agile Alliance as a board member. And I did, right? Like last November, I chose not to um, renew my term to give space for a person of color to join the board. And I'm, I do it again in a heartbeat. It's sometimes like it's, I get hope, I deal with my shame, right? Like <laughs> I deal with the shame, I own my shame, I own the things I need to learn. And then I'm almost like, but what can I do? <laughs> like, what, what? so yes, we need more diversity and leadership and not from a numbers or token like we talked about the last go round, because that's how we become awesome, right? If you consider that, a lot of professionals who are my age and those who are older have a relative and maybe as a child experienced being on the bottom of the pile of not being able to go to a certain washroom. I mean, I've spoken with women who in Virginia were talking about their schools were segregated. That's still, that's still not, these people are not dead. No, 1965. Like it's not that long. Saying. And, and that's the part that, that's the part that people have to get a grip on. On um, this is not. Don't act like this is like five hundred twenty. You know, a thousand years ago. Stop. This is really quite recent. So, I mean, we've got to deal with this. I remember working for a really large insurance company. It was like my first big kind of corporate job, and I'd made this decision between finance and exploring something else. I kind of went to insurance. And I remember when I went for my interview with HR, they thought I was interviewing for a secretarial role instead of the analyst position. Because there was another black female there, very respected, but she was a secretary. And that was the only person. And that was, and that was, that was the only person, right? So a lot of times people use the reference of, okay, we need to have more color, right? But... Here's here's the stack rank, right? And here's conversations, you know, that we have and blacks sit down together and have. There are Indians, considered brown people, so to speak, right? There are Asians. We don't come up and rank with them. So they've already got their seats. And all of them already have their own countries. Understand that. They've got countries that hold power. Blacks, blacks in America don't. So there's difference. So when people are now talking about, okay, we've got to make things look more diverse, we're talking about putting 
blacks in better positions, hiring the black people. That's what we're talking about. And that's what people need to get. That's the conversation right now is the black people in America, not the Indian people in America, because you had no choice but to deal with them because they own all your bloody technology. So you're going to deal with them, whether you want to or not. And you've got to deal with Asia because they got all the money and you need their money. So you're going to deal with them. So I'm not down for any of that, though, either, because those are all stereotypes and generalizations of those dynamics and, and their struggles there, too. I'm not discounting that the focus and there's additional anti-Black dynamics, but I'm also not down with dismissing those challenges or those stereotypes either, though. I don't think there's if we if if Blacks in America were on even keel of respect in the professional space, I'm talking professional space because that's our space, in the professional space on the same keel as those other two races, we wouldn't be having these conversations. Understand that. We wouldn't be having these conversations. Those are kind of like the facts that when you're sitting down, if you all of a sudden transformed and were no longer white and you just walked into conversations, right, and we're sitting down, These are the things that people are talking about because they're seeing that they're still being left behind, not because they're less qualified. So I completely align with what you're highlighting in terms of like, and and I am a hundred percent on the anti-black and that there's an extra dynamic with it. I, I think I'm just also careful to like, I think one of my first experiences back in, gosh, this was in the late nineties. And I was learning, I I had a colleague who was from India and he was actually um, trying to get his visa and and things like that. And they would purposely lose his paperwork. He was trying to get his visa and he was on year 12. And it was slavery. I mean, it was a different form of, because you couldn't switch to a different company and things. That's not not the help that they're getting from their organizations. Their organizations in India don't want to let them go. They're making more money keeping them employed as Indians living in India with no visas. And then it helps them to make a bigger market share and to sell better here to us. Right. You you know what I mean? Where do black Americans go to when things aren't working out? Where the hell do they go? And that's where I totally align with you. I just, I don't want to discount those challenges that they're facing with those different challenges of just diversity as a whole. It is a hard thing to walk in the sense of there's a lot of, lot of different areas that have a lot of discrimination because for some reason people just can't seem to get human rights, period. Right. And then, yeah, I mean, cause we're so, we're so behind. We can't get to human until you can get past color. And so and then if I can't, like, we're so jacked up on human rights as a whole. And then there is, I 100% acknowledge, like, this extra element for Black. Like, the anti-Black, like, is different than just person of color as a whole. Um, it definitely, def- it definitely is. It definitely is. And, and I never used to think about it because I used to use that phrase. Oh, we're, you know, oh, well, you know, color people, just in general, all of us. And I've had to sit back 
you know, like how you sit back and kind of be like, I think I've had to sit back and go, okay. Well, that's where um, black indigenous person of color has why that's taken. I've had a lot of people question, ask questions and I'm still trying to learn those dynamics and stuff, but that's actually, I think why that acronym is really starting to take hold is to highlight that um, indigenous people have a whole different, in some ways, different set of yeah, because there's there's sadly just that well, there's all, and if we go and we say, well, who was the culprit that just messed up everybody? You know, if you just left everybody alone, just visit and then go back to your home, we'd have been fine. But it's and it's really sad. It's really sad. Every race can then point to who is our common denominator problem trying to pull this back a little bit with it too is is you know when you go to the top of when you're talking about diversity and then people kind of expand beyond and for black people it's like no we're talking black diversity in leadership one of my good friends tamani she's a she's a vp in the fitness industry and she's been getting blasted she she was just telling me this and i asked her if i could t- share the story she said it was okay she was getting blasted with all these interview requests and she didn't know, like, she was like, uh, she's super happy. I mean, they're, they're doing really well and everything right now, but she was like out of exploration. She's kept, and she was finding that she was ending up in like the final interviews for everything that they contacted. But she was like, I'm not, so she, she like tanked one just intentionally. She, she still went to the final one. There's a thing happening. I, she thinks right now and what people have been talking about, and maybe you can validate this too, is, is well, because now we have to have diversity and leadership. If we just show that we interviewed black people, then it's not our fault if black people are not. That they weren't good enough. Because the one of the reasons they told her was she didn't have enough supply chain experience. She was like, um, millions of dollars. Like, like what? And so like that's my fear is that we don't just have we have people currently black in leadership and senior leadership roles that don't feel necessarily safe to talk. We're going to go through the motions to try and pretend like putting people in. Don't really, A, still value that perspective and, and what, what that brings to the table, period. And then B, because we're not really owning our biases that's preventing it to, to begin with. And then C is it still just feels this overwhelming, well, what do we, like, what can I do kind of dynamic that makes me nervous that we're going to say it's important and not, and be what's, how many years has it been since 65, 40 years in the same boat. Right. And I think a lot of black people who are professionals and have made it to a certain level and their lives are comfortable. There is the sense of, and let me speak for me. There is the sense of, okay, right now it's what everybody wants to do and everybody's challenge is going to make a difference. But what happens when it isn't what everybody wants to do anymore? And it's been long enough since there's any major news publicity for anything going wrong. What's going to happen to those of us who spoke out and said, value us? What is going to be the retaliation for those leaders? For those leaders, those who are already professional in leadership, what's going to be the retaliation then? And that has got to be considered because the question becomes when this is your livelihood, 
And this is how you feed your children, you know, keep your life. Is it worthwhile? Bothering to say, you've really always made me feel uncomfortable and I never felt I was valued member of the team. Is it worth it? Or is it just easier? Digest the crap. Been digesting it for a long, really long time. So know how to chew it down to small pieces versus push yourself over that ridge. And that's where the executive teams of organizations who are serious about addressing diversity and making inclusion a reality. That's what they've got to really address. And if they're not sitting down and thinking about that and over dinner talking about it, and it's not really causing them to think, oh my God, how are we going to deal with that? Then I can't take those leaders seriously. That's where we're going to have the numbers game. Whoa, look how many people we did. We've done it. Get it. That's next. We've done that. Didn't we hit on, hey, somebody got our statistics, just published them, show them, we hit them. I mean, how many, you guys did that higher than I told you to do, right? Didn't you guys make the numbers change? Good. Send that report out. Great. Now let's get back to business. And there's still the air of more uncomfortableness that black professionals are going to feel now when they walk into the rooms. Wondering who's been talking, who doesn't believe them, who's, who thinks now I'm only here because of a number. And so when I put out an idea, is it going to be challenged because we're challenging the idea or is it going to be challenged because it was my idea? So it's almost like the C-suite has to sit and have doctor's hours for a while and literally have real conversations with their black employees. Really sit down and have a conversation. Put it on the agenda. And over the next couple of months, meet your staff. Talk to them. Ask them about what has the experience been like here. When we hired you, what was it like? Understand what this organ, because every organization's culture is slightly different. What has this organization done? And what can we affect here? Because yes, we want to affect the world, but you can affect what you have control over. So those C-suite people have control over that organization. It's theirs. They can direct it. They can switch it. They probably can't change the whole world, but you can change this piece of the system that you have control over. So what are you going to do about your organization. Senior director, what are you going to do about the organization that's rolling up to you? And I want to add into that because I've been thinking about this more and more, especially since, you know, my friend was telling me about her, you know, all these interview requests and things like that. You know, one of the things we try and do in Agile is talk about metrics don't guarantee anything, right? And then like metrics help confirm or change a behavior and it's complex, it's not complicated and all of these all of these concepts, right? And I actually, we've been doing a number of things um, in one of the nonprofits that I'm working with. And, and and I'm just, while you were talking, I'm thinking through like what, what we've been doing, but yet what made a big difference, right? And so what we were doing for a really long time is we'd get these presentations that shouted stats at us. Well, there's only four, you know, six black, you know, leaders and things like that. But that, those numbers, they don't emotionally charge me because, and then, and I realize that, but like, because my brain wants to rationalize why and versus 
Like, so hearing that, like, and I've heard it before, like with women and, you know, women stats and stuff again, that never, even as a woman, it doesn't actually hit me with those things versus hearing those experiences versus hearing the stories versus starting to understand the value of why we want the numbers to change. And so I think so often we want those like objective, tell me if I'm hitting it things that we miss the whole, which is the irony is not lost upon me in agile, right? But we miss the whole purpose of the why behind it, which is actually what motivates the action and the results. And then it becomes this game versus. So when I think about this nonprofit, every time we just did the stat thing, didn't really change anything, right? Like it was like a few people were like, see, I have data now, let's do something. And and the people who didn't think the data was like, whatever, were like, we did, right? Like um, <laughs> versus when we hired a diversity expert in the leadership team and we hired this expert and they're coming in and they're actually like, here's our messaging. And they're like, no. And like they're, they're and, but when they're correcting it, they're explaining why and what what parts we missed and what we're not getting. It's almost like it's a different level of training. We just did that big event with Agile Alliance for the racial equity with um, within the Agile community. And we did actually a training for volunteers beforehand about de-escalation and about like what happens when you have racial conversations hands down, everybody was like, oh my gosh, that, like, I was like, that was so valuable. And we keep having trainings and knowledge shared about stats and not about the experiences nor the tools to continue those conversations. Yep. So that like, as you were talking, it made me realize, I think so many times we're coming at the, what's the first step from a very complicated viewpoint and not just a human viewpoint yeah bring back just the human if you were at home and you heard your daughter's best friend who you've seen since they were little kind of grow up has been going through something you'd invite them to then go hey what's going on and just have a conversation we don't have to be right you don't have to understand. And even if you empathize, maybe your empathy is never going to be strong enough. Be okay with that and just hold the space for the conversation. But because it's human, because it's connection, this is why this works versus sometimes the bigger training where you feel that defensive dynamic. Yeah, just give some space. I really think it's going to begin with leaders who are taking on like, you know, taking on the doctor's hours of, okay, this is us. Let's start listening to the people who are part of us and get the ideas of how we can make things better. Because maybe you don't have to come up with a solution. Everybody's trying to, you know, in their offices, what's the solution? No, you probably haven't got the solution, but talk to the people who can tell you about the journey there, what it's like coming there every day. And now what can you do? Because now we can work together again. Yeah. So this really come together to solve the problem. But if you don't reach your hand out to me, I'm probably not going to reach a hand out to you because I don't want to be, you know, left hanging here. It's not one event. It's not one time. That's why there's a fear factor that I hold of. How long do we have to make the changes we need to make so that we won't go backwards because if we don't make 
enough of momentum or enough of a difference, it's going to be a problem. Do you know what I mean? It really is. I do just want to say thank you and appreciate that you're allowing me that we're doing this together and chatting and I just, I adore you. Oh, same back. Absolutely same back. And I like said this just today talking about uh, probably that greatest fear of momentum not being hit soon enough and everything going back is uh, I think definitely for me, a fear factor. Finding that bridge and finding the way forward is, is what everybody kind of wants. Logically, we just got to figure out how to do it together. Yeah. And when, and when you start the conversation, you know, preempt that there's probably going to be certain stories I share with you that are going to be very emotional for me because it's like, you know, whipping off a bandaid off a really, really deep wound. Um, and I need you to give me that space and understand I'm not really, if I come over being aggressive, it's not that I'm trying to be aggressive at you. It's just how I'm feeling. And I can't tell you that I've been able to have this conversation ever before. And so you're not just getting today in this conversation. You're getting what I've been through. You're getting what I've seen in my family. You're getting what my community has been spoken about. And I just need you to understand that. Because it's a, it's difficult for us to for us to show up every day and lead. So for those of us who are already leaders, for us to show up every day and lead in the midst of all that's going on, and still keep the professional persona going, is taking a lot of energy and a lot from your mental space. So I always say, just preempt and let people know. This is what I have to do to be here. You probably don't go through many, as many steps to be at work like I do. And the reshifting and the putting it and sucking everything in and just, but this is what my everyday looks like. And this person is very grateful that you're willing to share and you're sharing with more. So thank you. So thank you everybody for joining us, Trish. Thank you for showing up and uh, being willing to do this one with us. All right, take care. Now, just because the episode is over doesn't mean the conversation has to stop. Come find us on Instagram at Let's Continue the Conversation and let us know what you thought of today's episode and what takeaways you're leaving with. And don't forget to help us spread the word. Screenshot the episode, add it to your Insta stories and tag us at Let's Continue the Conversation. You can always find the links and resources mentioned in the show over on Let's Continue the Conversation.com. We look forward to continuing the conversation with you next time.